like your taters fried or baked? It's been a staple in human history, or has it? And what in the world does it have to do with the weather? Welcome to What Is It About the Weather podcast, where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelanek. And this week, we're going to be talking exactly that. Tater weather, if you will. You'll give me that one. Hope you're doing well. Hope your weather is treating you well. It's a holiday weekend here in the U.S. And before I get talking about taters and what in the world they have to do with weather, I'm going to try to answer a couple questions. One of them actually had something to do with, you know, what I just mentioned there. And I talk about my weather. And you'll hear me mention sometimes when I cover stories. People have asked what percentage of the listeners, viewers, however you catch this, are international, right, outside the U.S. Because as you can imagine, this is, you know, I'm coming from the U.S. It probably gives, you know, our weather fascination doesn't always hold globally. I mean, some people come and go. Everybody can't listen to English. You know, I've got that, right? But on a scale of, you know, one to whatever, we're probably, let's keep it in percentages, we're probably in that 25 to 30 percent range is international so some it, you know it kind of ebbs and flows I may hit an episode that has a little more of an international connection and it will get more listens internationally so that may rise to a third right on a, on a given episode and I, yeah I go through periods where maybe it's as low as 20 percent but there's always kind of been in that range of 25 percent or so that's roughly international which I'm grateful for because when I get feedback and when I get comments from people or even when I'm thinking about episodes, it reminds me that I have to kind of maybe put away my biases for a bit if I can, right? Or, or think about things in a global perspective. Now, as a meteorologist, thinking about things in a global perspective, truly large scale, is not that challenging for me. But relating it to things outside of my domain can be a bit tricky. And thankfully, I have influences in my life that you know, lived in South America for many years, have traveled many parts of the world, currently have a strong Asian influence in my life. So those things all impact how I look at the weather. And again, I'm grateful for that because it it does remind me that uh, as much as I experience things locally, I want to try to make it meaningful, whatever we're talking about, for a larger audience. So hopefully that gets achieved. All right. Now, I'm going to Get my soapbox out for a minute. You guys are going to, this this episode, we're going to probably be short on taters and more on just some intro stuff because I've had a few things this week. As I've mentioned before, I get emails to the podcast email. I'm not talking personal. I get some occasionally in my personal feed as well, but to the podcast email, and I probably get, I don't know how often, you know, let's say one a month that comes in that's somebody wanting you know, offering an expert up or wanting me to promote a product or or whatever it is. And most of the time, I I mean, I've mentioned a few from time to time on here before that that make me laugh, right? And it's because I know whatever the the content of the email is, it's irrelevant to me because they'll say, oh, I heart your podcast or whatever. And I know that that's what I mentioned in the, in the past. When I know darn well, based on the comment, one, it's just a generic form letter thing. But generally speaking, they say that, and then they say something that's completely irrelevant because they try to take the word weather and you know 
say, I love how you talk about the weather or whatever, you know, and I know just immediately that they don't bother listening to the podcast because what they said is just not even consistent with what the podcast is or what it's about. Even if they happen to catch some episode, I, I, I know that it's highly unlikely that that thing would have happened. But I got one this week that just struck a chord with me for no, no, I guess, great reason. And it, and it had to do not so much with the content, because this is a follow-up email I got offering. It's about something that's coming out. And they were offering, you know, either an interview or more detail, you know, something. And let's be clear, what they're looking for is an opportunity. They're, they're acting like that thing's going to help my podcast, right? Whatever they're offering me is going to help my podcast. And in exchange, they get a chance to promote whatever it is that's important to them. And sometimes I could see where that makes sense. It's just for my podcast, a lot of those things don't make sense. This one actually could. There could be some crossover makes sense. And uh, yeah, I get back to the same thing. One of the things that I should have probably always have done more in this podcast is look to do interviews, that sort of thing. I've just never really gotten set up for it. So again, future things might incorporate that. Just the way this one's structured hasn't really worked for that. But I don't mind them offering that. It's fine. But the thing started with a description that said self-proclaimed. Now, it's followed after that by I, it was either weather geek or weather nerd, and that's fine. I, you know, I don't remember exactly which one it was. I think it was weather geek in this case. I thought to myself, there's a lot of people that say they're weather geeks or weather nerds. I say it from time to time, depending on the context I'm in. And any of you out there that are interested in the weather can proudly go out and say you're a weather geek or weather nerd if you really find the weather interesting. Because those words are just also descriptors, right, about who you are as yourself, right? I don't need to proclaim you a weather geek. I don't need to say, oh, he's the weather geek or she's the weather nerd or whatever it is. You can say it if that's how you feel. And there's a lot of things in our lives that we should be able to say that about. I don't understand this fascination, and this is far from the only place, with the word, putting the word self or the description self-proclaimed in front of it. Because if that person is a weather geek or weather nerd, or you or I are, just say it. Self-proclaimed with a name like weather geek or weather nerd is usually how it's done. You say, I'm a weather geek, or I'm a weather nerd, or I like taters, as we'll get to in a bit. But... What, what I did after that is I, it seems to be one of those words lately or one of those adjectives that we're using a lot, right? Because I think it relays into social media, you know, self-proclaimed financial expert or self-proclaimed cryptocurrency guru or whatever it might be, right? Because they haven't, no one has bestowed upon them a degree or whatever it is, but Loving the weather, as an example, is or having a high interest or even knowledge about doesn't require a degree. It's just, you know, a thing, right? And I found an article that actually showed, though, the danger of true self-proclaimed is they are more likely to be susceptible to things that don't exist. And this had to do with kind of people that would be self-proclaimed financial experts. And there were all this vocabulary that they were introduced to. And I guess they either had to describe what it was or something like that. And the self-proclaimed people more often were likely to act like they knew about something that didn't exist. There was no such thing. The term wasn't real and it didn't describe anything that was real or even could be real, right? 
So, you know, maybe they were just better at that. So for all of us, let's drop the self-proclaimed. If you are a thing, great, right? It's like me saying I'm a meteorologist. I'm a meteorologist. Technically, my degree is not. It's in earth and atmospheric science, right? I'm a master of science in earth and atmospheric science. That's what it came in. My focus was on atmospheric science, but more in the data. My experience dictates me saying I'm a meteorologist, but you know, I'm not a certified broadcast meteorologist or certified consulting meteorologist. These are true certified people. But again, do I have the education of a meteorologist? Yes. And that's why I'm very comfortable saying I'm a meteorologist. But my major wasn't technically meteorology, and there are degrees to do that. So you know, we can quibble on all those things. And it's like I've talked before, there's a lot of on-air meteorologists who have gone back and gotten a what I would call a degree of sorts, if you will, that certifies them in that. And I've got, I've got no problem with that. And, and most of the people that, that claim to be a meteorologist sometimes, fine with it. I don't get hung up on it. It's always good to know what people's backgrounds are, right? So, yes, I don't have any, and I would. If I put one of those monikers on my name, it, it, it may give me more things to say, sure. But we just all need to, you know, just pay attention is what it boils down to. And as I get to, don't trust people that claim to be self-proclaimed anything. All right. Off my soapbox for a minute. But another question I got this week had to do with this thing about Yellowstone. The good news about Yellowstone, as I mentioned, it's actually reopening this weekend. They, they again, money solves a lot of problems, right? But somebody was asking me about, um, and I mean the the northern part of the park, the other part had opened, and they're getting rid of the restrictions even on, that they had introduced when they first opened the park. It's good news. It's, it's a great park, and I'm glad more people are going to get experience in the summer. But somebody was asking me about the 1 in 500 and 1 in 1,000-year stuff and trying to understand realistically what the difference is. And the short answer is it's hard to because we don't have time records of enough information where you can accurately do it. So it is an estimation, right? There's some simulation and modeling that has to go involved and you do that based on the evidence that you do have but it's important to recognize the difference between one in 500 and one in a thousand is 0.1 versus 0.2 right it's a very small difference now the reality can be drastically different but you've got to have enough cases to build that sort of level of statistics and often with these floods we don't and keep in mind it doesn't mean you can't have one happen and another one happen a couple of weeks later or the next year it's just about probabilities of over time how will things work out and there's two things i tell people to keep in mind one is of course one in a thousand sounds more dramatic and if you're trying to get funding for something you're going to say that and quite frankly most of the time you can say it versus saying one in 500 and not be fibbing really because it's within the margin of error of anything probably but it's important to recognize that you have to have enough cases and often in history we don't have enough cases and things to really make that prediction right because for instance you may say well we've got a lot of daily numbers right that say on this day every year it's roughly this amount or on this day if you're doing it on monthly averages and sure you you, you could build that case but you have to have enough flooding cases or out of the ordinary cases to understand what the distribution might look like. The other thing you got to keep in mind is as we change structures or as we do things that alter the way nature behaves around us or even as nature changes it. I was reminded of one where huge earthquake in Chile 
And I've driven and seen some of the instances where the land shifted dramatically and fell by, you know, three meters or, you know, roughly in the 10 foot range in places that created floodplain areas that were never, that was never a problem before, right? So these things can alter the statistics and you kind of have to start the counter over again and rebuild. So just keep in mind, don't get hung up on it. Just know that it should be an unusual event, but there's still a lot. There can be more uncertainty just depending on where it is as to how realistic that estimate is. And it's still just an estimate. All right. Hikers. Saw a story about hikers this week. And, you know, I I mentioned about heat killing and I want to talk about two things with that. So I'm going to get to the cold parks. We always talk about heat killing and I mentioned cold killing before, but there were some hikers from Texas. Again, for those of you not in the U.S., southern part of the U.S., pretty warm place as a rule of thumb, even despite the uh, frigid air stories that have captured the news a couple times in the, in the last couple of years, can be hot, can be just downright hot. And so people traveled from Texas to Colorado and went hiking and weren't prepared. They're thinking summertime, it's going to be warm and didn't bring appropriate gear and had to be rescued, right? People know where you're going and what the conditions might be and plan for it. It ain't that hard. Use some common sense. I don't care whether you're from Texas or from Istanbul or from New Delhi. It doesn't matter. If, if If you're in place that's normally warm, and you're going somewhere you don't know, or vice versa, just use your noggin, do some planning. Now, on the heat side of things, as I mentioned, it's that time of year where we tend to get a lot of heat waves. And I saw, I'm going to put a link in the show notes about this. Um, Sevilla is a place in Spain that is going to start naming heat waves. You know, we have this controversy about naming winter storms, you know, versus naming just tropical cyclones. I don't know. Take a look. I think you'll find... The story interesting, and I'm actually glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're ca- trying to capture some way if it will help convey to the public and, and gather the public's eyes and ears to be focused on when this danger is present. Right. Lastly, here in the, I you know I've been kind of publishing, tend to publish the podcast more lately, kind of Sunday Monday, even though I still use that Friday day. I might get this one out so that some people can be reminded. It's fireworks season and I know there are going to be a lot of people that like fireworks I enjoy them but let's all keep in mind that not everybody does and particularly animals don't and so you know just be aware of that if you're doing fireworks at home and maybe know what your neighbors are up to it's I see more stories about this and I'm putting a link in the story about how weather impacts fireworks and we've talked about some of those things before and the ideal thing to see it but I've been reminded a couple times lately when I look at some of these stories that I've seen more and more about people that that suffer with stress and trauma from fireworks and as more locations here in the U.S. have made it easier to get fireworks it's a reminder to me that we're all interconnected and sometimes uh, maybe forego something that I was planning to do because I've got a neighbor who's sensitive to those things. It's a reminder to know your neighbors and know what's tricky for them and know your animals and what's tricky for them, right? And be cognizant of that. And sure, sometimes, uh, you know, with enough planning and you give notice, neighbor can accommodate. And a lot of times they're glad to. It's more the surprise stuff that can be tricky. In any case, enough about all that. 
I've talked way too long on all the non-Tater stuff, but the Tater episode was going to be relatively short in idea anyways. And let's be clear. I don't care whether you like your taters fried or baked or au gratin or salted or sautéed or with a steak or with fish or with chicken or in a salad. It, it, it doesn't matter. All those things go well with potatoes, and that's the cool part about it, right? Now, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, but for those who haven't heard it, or maybe if I didn't, what's my connection to potatoes, and why am I talking about it today? Well, quite frankly, it's because somebody asked me in the last week what my favorite food was, and I've gone with this thing. My my quick answer always used to be actually potatoes, but if, if you were to ask me like a finished meal, I really like good sushi. I really do. Well-prepared, right? Not the stuff you go and buy in the grocery. I'll eat that too, right? I'm not, I'm not that picky, but like in a restaurant where you just, you know, the quality is good and I don't get a chance to do it that often, but I find the flavors and the, this, the, the sushi just works for me, right? Doesn't work for everybody, but if you're going to ask for my favorite ingredient and things and something to go in a meal, it doesn't have to be the meal. That's what I'm saying. It's not my favorite dish necessarily, but if you were just going to say a food, just a, an ingredient, it'd have to be potatoes. And there's a running joke with me. It's a good friend of mine growing up, met my grandmother and we're at this meal and she just had to tell the story about me and potatoes and how I was so I, it was one of those things when I was a kid. I, you know, I don't know who, if both my parents drove me or who drove me. Drove me part way to my grandparents. So we lived, let's say, three hours from my grandparents, a little more than that. But there was a place that they could kind of meet, dropped me off to go stay with my grandparents for like a week, right? And it was at an old style kind of cafeteria. There's, they're not as common in the U.S. anymore, but long and the short of it, they dropped me off, and. What I proceeded to ask for or end up with on my plate, because it's one of those places, right? Like it's like anybody that's ever been to a line where you pick stuff out, right? And 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 again, anybody who's gone to schools, cafeteria style, you you know what I'm talking about. You say, give me one of those, or you pay, pull one of those out. I pulled three potato dishes, and that's all I pulled off. And I don't remember it being that funny at the time, but it apparently just tickled my grandmother paint, right? And she just loved to tell that story about me. And it's true as a kid, you know, a lot of kids have a favorite food. And I guess mine was just potatoes. I, I, I like potato chips too. I mean, again, there's very seldom have I found a, a potato recipe that I don't like. There are a few, but generally speaking, I like it. And the interesting thing about potatoes, and this again, this got me thinking about potatoes, but it reminded me I had seen something, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a couple different articles, but one of them is about, you know, we have this perception about the importance of potatoes, and the Great Potato Famine is one you hear about. You hear about this story that impacted Ireland, and one of the statistics I came across recently was Ireland's population was huge, and that's why the potato famine was so devastating, and its population now, I think it's still less than it was like a couple hundred years ago. I mean, it's like the only country in the developed world. I don't remember what the statistic was that still has not, that its population is less than it was 200 years ago or 300 years ago or whenever the date was. In any case, it can have devastating consequences. But, but 
what's important to recognize is the potato wasn't a big deal until people from Spain reached certain parts of South America where the potato was a mainstay, particularly in Peru. And I've traveled to Peru. And one of their big claims to fame is we've got over, you know, the guide said whatever it was, how many of our different types of potatoes just to here in this little region. And it is thousands of species, right, that that they, it was, you know, one of those things is kind of bragging rights. They'd have this little sub-variety in that one and, and each have their strengths and weaknesses and stuff. But the long and the short of it is it was a great crop. But being that it, you think about it, Peruvian highlands, it grew it, and it thrived in parts of Europe and helped save Europe. It, it, it actually helped reduce famines, right, that were much more common and was probably part of the reason that Europe was able to thrive in the period it did because it was able to stabilize partly because of potatoes, its food supply. Now, it's not the largest crop in the world. It, it doesn't beat a sugar. It doesn't beat a wheat. It doesn't beat a rice. But it's right up there, you know, depending which year it is, in the top five-ish range, right? So it is a, a big thing. But it hadn't always been, right? It's a relatively newcomer to the world scene in terms of importance. And it has to do primarily with potatoes like it a little on the – they're like me, right? Quite frankly, they like it a little bit cool. They like it a little bit moist. And interestingly enough, they're a little toxic. Okay. You don't want to eat the green part of a potato. Actually, potatoes, you know, can be a little dangerous. So just keep that in mind as well. As long as they're fully matured and cooked properly. For the most part, that's not the case. But they can be tricky if they're not. But the beauty of potatoes also is you can cut one up with the right pieces of the potato and grow more potatoes. You don't need seeds. You don't have to wait for it to go to seed. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a great thing. But again, it's kind of tricky on its weather. However, link in the show notes, they have figured out what makes potatoes stop growing and doing its thing when it gets warm outside. And they figured out a way genetically. And I, you know, I'm always cautious. I always look at genetic stuff, you know, keep it in mind. With making sure we're not doing something crazy, but it's a way to turn that feature off so potatoes can thrive in warmer climates. And I think that's an important thing. You know, when we talk about changing climates and those sort of things, it's always good to know what your food options are or how things are going to be impacted. But it's also good to be able to think about how we could adapt, right? So maybe the potato will thrive in all weather. I mean, perfect for me, right? Weather guy, potato guy, match made in heaven. Any case, just wanted to give some potato time today. Again, it's a holiday weekend here in the U.S. Half people won't even hear this episode for months. Who knows when they'll listen to it because it'll be the one that they skipped because they're doing things with family and friends and all that's great. I hope everybody's weather who is traveling works out okay and that you're able to avoid challenges. I'm going to try to get a couple bike rides in this weekend. I've been missing doing that. I haven't had a chance to be out. It's The weather's a little hot today, but I'm, I'm hoping for this cold front that's going to give me a chance to maybe even ride in the rain, which again, I don't mind. Uh, but just enjoy a holiday weekend, and I hope you can too for those that are having one. For those in the rest of the world that this isn't a holiday weekend, I hope it's still enjoyable, and I hope your weather treats me well. And if you have a story about potatoes and you want to share it, feel free. If you have some other thing to share related to weather or statistics or anything else, I always love to hear your stories. What is it about the weather at gmail.com? Okay. 
You can find me on Twitter, Mark underscore Jelonic, or what is it about the weather on Twitter as well. But I'd love to hear from you guys. Let me know what's up. But, you know, in the meantime, in the meantime, the next time you bite into a spud, whatever variety you like, just remember, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs> <laughs>